0: Hi, I'm El Todd Wood. At CD Media, we decided never to have a paywall on any of our sites. I hate those. But we have to make money so we do have advertisements. But some people don't like ads. So what can you do? You can sign up for our no-ad subscription. It's a few bucks a month. You go to the top of any of our sites and sign up for the subscription and you get access to all of our websites, all of the news from around the world. This includes our Eastern European, Israeli, Balkan sites. It includes Armed it includes all the U.S. papers that we've opened, the Miami Independent, the Connecticut Sentinel, the Georgia Record, the Manhattan.press, and the, those that are yet to come in the pipeline, which will be opening soon. So you get all this access to fantastic news from around the world with no ads, no display ads, no pop-up ads. I think you'll love it. Please check us out. It helps support CD media, independent media, and basically confronting the propaganda that's being put out by the corporate media. Thank you. Now let's get to our guest.
1: So today in American Conversations, we're going to talk about everything about remdesivir, the drug that uh, Fauci announced in April of 2020 uh, that he declared should be used uh, in hospitals for people who had COVID. And we know that there are a number of people who have suffered and died because of remdesivir. So today we have with us two courageous attorneys that are taking on the hospitals, who insisted upon remdesivir being administered to their patients and patients who died. So we have with us today Michael Hamilton and Daniel Watkins. Welcome to the show, gents.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us, Christine.
1: So um, let's let's get into what we know about the protocols first, and then we'll get into the lawsuits second. So which one of you wants to start with, you know, let the, everything t- what we need to know about remdesivir and how it's been administrated um, across the hospitals in the United States?
2: Christine, I'll jump into that. Um, we know that, that remdesivir as a drug was tested in, the, in trials against Ebola. Mm-hmm. During those testing uh, testings that testing time, um, Remdesivir was found to have such a high mortality rate that they pulled it from the study and banned it for further use against Ebola. It was too dangerous. And now we know that it's been given, it's being given in hospitals around the world, around the country, in every state. um, And it is, it had the mortality rate in the Ebola studies was like 53.1%.
1: Which is unacceptable by any standards of any drugs, correct?
2: Exactly, yes. And, and, and COVID-19 has a survival rate of 99.97% across all age groups in the United States. So why would you give something that less than one-half of 1% of people die from? Um, why would you give something to supposedly cure the disease that, kills, that has a mortality rate of over 53%?
1: And my understanding that this drug also, it attacks your organs, your kidneys, especially, right?
2: It does. And and we have um, some wonderful experts that will speak to that, Dr. Peter McCullough and others. But it causes multiple organ failure. It causes a high rate of renal failure. Um, It's a very toxic drug. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's being, but it's being given and it's being financially incentivized in a number of different ways. Uh, we know that that um, a panel of supposed experts went in front of the cdc to ask that it be given emergency use authorization and in that it, and nine of those panelists worked for the nih and had a financial tie to gilead sciences the, the the maker of remdesivir they're making money hand over fist i'm a big believer in in follow the money to see you know where this is coming from as to the protocol itself it, it goes like this with very little variation from across many different states um well in every state that we're aware of and we have received feedback from 30 plus states at this point
1: and this is so feedback I'm, from hospitals or feedback from from
2: people whose loved ones died while being given remdesivir and being um, subjected to the protocol I'm about to describe. Okay. So the protocol goes like this. You go into the hospital for a myriad of reasons, maybe a sprained ankle, maybe a, a concussion. You're told that you have COVID pneumonia, w- whatever that is. Um, I'm not even sure that it's a thing, but you're told you have COVID pneumonia. You're immediately separated from your loved ones. You're placed in a hospital room by yourself they put an oxygen machine, a BiPAP machine on your face, and they crank the levels up to a very high rate, so high that it's very difficult for the person to actually breathe. And uh, when people try to remove the mask so they can actually breathe, their hands are strapped, zip tied to the bed rails, and they are started very quickly on remdesivir, whether they want it or not. Many of our clients and many of the people that I've been in communication with say, We said absolutely no remdesivir. They're told things like, "Well, let's get you some fluids," and and remdesivir instead is hung, and they're and they they're started on remdesivir. In fact, they're not given fluids at all. Part of the protocol is that they're dehydrated. They're not given fluid. They're not given nourishment. They're simply given remdesivir. Um, They're isolated. They're tied down. Um, They're given a large number of additional drugs some of which are contraindicated for use even with remdesivir and they are um um, they're told if you leave the hospital against medical advice your insurance is not going to pay for your stay and you're going to be bankrupted and so there many people are just in fear of the financial part of it it takes on average nine days for a protocol patient, as I call them, to die. Some of them are stronger and they last longer. Some of them last for months, but, but they're, they're served to death. The remdesivir shuts down their kidneys. One of the things that it does is it fills up their lungs with, um, with fluids. They're told, well, if we, if we give you uh, water, if we give you nourishment, if we give you liquids at all, it's going to exacerbate the problem in your lungs, which are filling up with water. Well, it's the remdesivir that causes that to happen. So they die either from starvation, they die from their, their renal failure and their lungs filling up with water, um, a variety of of, of different things. Um, and, and we've discovered that the financial incentives are just through the roof.
0: And the so hospitals,
1: in and the hospitals, I understand, are making somewhere between twenty-four hundred 400- dollars. Uh, I don't know if that's over the period of using remdesivir or if it's over, you know, four days. Uh, I know that there is someone who came to me who, and this woman did survive, um, but her husband told me that they had an $18,000, she got COVID, she went into the hospital, it was in Texas. Um, There was a bill for $18,000, $13,000 of it was for remdesivir.
2: So here's what we've discovered in California. Now, the financial incentives vary from state to state. Mm-hmm. But in, in California, if somebody comes in and is treated as an outpatient, they're given, let's say they're given the, the Nobel Peace Prize winning medicine, Ivermectin, which has wiped out COVID wherever it's been used. For example, in India, mm-hmm. there's a state that has 241 million people. But uh Ivermectin has been given out as a prophylactic, and there's been 11 cases of COVID-19. Right. So let's say they come in, you treat them as an outpatient, you give them something that works and send them home. In California, the average charge rate is $3,200. If you admit them into the hospital, now they're an inpatient, it's either a complex or non-complex case. Non-complex treatment averages, the average charge rate is $111,000 and change. For a not for a complex case, which means, in order to be identified as a complex case, you have to intubate them or put them in the ICU. If you do either one of those things, it becomes complex by definition, and the average charge rate is about four hundred and fifty-four thousand dollars. On top of that, on top of that, the government offers an NCTAP bonus for Medicare Medicaid funded hospitals. That adds twenty percent to the entire hospital stay. So, if you're treating them as a complex case, you not only are getting four hundred fifty-four thousand dollars plus or minus, but you're also getting an additional twenty percent, ninety thousand dollars on top of that. So,
1: so from patient- from basically, what you're talking about, Michael, is from desivir is an ATM drug. It's going. It's going. To, it's it's going to the hospital gets money on it. Um, the, the patient could die. It's a complex case. The money goes up. The That's, money goes
2: up. And, and here's the thing, Christine, in order to get the 20% bonus in California, the extra 90 grand plus or minus, um, you have to offer remdesivir as, an ex, as a remedy to the exclusion of other remedies. If you offer ivermectin, if you offer hydroxychloroquine, if you offer any of the other remedies which have been proven to be effective, you don't get the 20% bonus. You have to offer remdesivir to the exclusion of other remedies.
1: All right. So so it, it has an exclusivity for, for the for the 20% increase. Okay. That's so true. Daniel, so you guys have gotten together, you're working together now, you filed a lawsuit uh, and there's 14, 14 families that are represented as plaintiffs and you filed it, it because you're fo- this lawsuit is, uh, is just focusing on the uh, Fresno, California hospitals, is that correct?
3: Yes, that's correct. We have 14 families in the Fresno area that uh, went to their loved ones went to three different hospitals. So five at one hospital, five at another and so on. And uh, they all experienced the same type of protocol that Michael just laid out. They lost a loved one. And so we brought the lawsuits against those hospitals to start um, in that area. We do have another hospital that we will be uh, filing a lawsuit the same lawsuit against in the fresno area as well the reason that we're focused on fresno really i believe is from god you know so much of what's happened in terms of michael and i coming together and the litigation that we've been involved in for me in particular over the last year has really been lined up by him and there was a couple of the family members that uh god-fearing people and he he connected them and uh, then through other amazing connections they were brought to my attention and Michael's attention. And Michael and I just happened to be the same place at the same time in terms of wanting to help. And, and that's why it developed into that, into the Fresno area. It just came from those people rallying and, and, uh, and, and bringing it to us. There are other families in the area too, that we will likely file on behalf of. Uh, but from there, and the reason that we, or one of the things that we really hope to accomplish is to take this lawsuit and it's going to be a work in progress develop it into a template that we can then use in Texas. We have some potential claims there. We'll be filing, I believe, within the month. We have some claims in Kentucky we'll be filing. And then we'll be reaching out to attorneys across the country, giving them our ideas, and hopefully people can take it. We can make it better as we go forward, and we can continue to attack this use of remdesivir in such an egregious fashion and and maybe hopefully bring it to an end.
1: The way that Michael's describing this in the hospital, it, it, it sounds as if this is murder. Because I mean, these these are supposed to be experts in a hospital, and if they're giving something that causes harm, and they repeatedly see people die and organs collapse, I mean, people th- 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 this is this th- 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 people are consciously without a conscience administering a drug that's causing harm. I mean, th- th- at what po- at what point uh, do prosecutors get involved? Well,
2: um. That's Go ahead, a great Dylan.
3: question. Yeah. In, in terms of what's happening, I will tell you, I've been practicing now in California for 30 years. And in that time, I've defended doctors and dentists for malpractice claims. Um, a lot of what we deal with is informed consent issues. A lot of it is standard of care issues. And um, when I first heard the stories that was in the, the protocol that Michael described, I thought oh, this is a little bit of an overreaction from dr- dramatic and emotional families. It's a terrible thing to lose someone. Sure. I mean, I've grown up trusting in the healthcare industry and thought if I went to the hospital, I was going to get the best care available uh, in the whole world. That was my expectation. And I thought it was an overreaction. And we heard a couple of cases, then it turned to four cases, then to 10 cases, then to 15. And now it's thousands across the country. And it's not an exaggeration. We have photographic evidence. We have videotaped evidence of people actually strapped to the beds because they were agitated from the oxygen flow and wanting to take the masks off. And they died, literally died, strapped to the beds. It's unbelievable. I am blown away. And in in just the last four or five months, everything I thought about what was going on in the hospitals has just been flipped up on its head. And so that's why we got involved, you know, in terms of federal or prosecution for criminal acts, it's passed beyond my expertise. I don't really know what would need to be proven to get charges filed. But one thing we have been calling for and we're not afraid to ask is for some sheriff in some county to investigate this. Take a look at what's going on. Take a look at the fact that in many of the cases the families are saying do not give remdesivir and the hospitals are giving remdesivir. I don't know if that can lead to criminal charges, but it certainly is a battery. And so they need to be investigated. And if there's money that's driving this and we've got fraud in the sense that things are being billed for that aren't necessary, right? They're doing things that aren't necessary for the care, contraindicated medicines to the use of remdesivir, for example. That seems to me to be something that should be investigated. And so I wouldn't be afraid to ask for some sheriff to somewhere take a look at this stuff because, like we're saying, follow the money. It's it's incredible what's happening. It really is incredible.
1: So do we Do we not – and I, I, you've interviewed everybody, obviously, before you put their name on the complaint. Correct. Right. So is this, which court is this filed in, uh, in California? Uh,
3: There's a state court in Fresno County. Wait, we're going to keep it in state court. Um, Uh, the state, all the claims are state claims. So we'll, we'll litigate it there.
1: All right. So these are state claims. Um, and, and I'm always about the evidence, um, because I was trained as a criminal investigator. So do the evidence that you have did, are, are there witnesses that will come forward that actually saw people strapped to the beds?
3: absolutely and one of the things that really convinced me is within the 14 families about four or five of them have healthcare providers that are loved ones of the decedent we have nurses that are in the hospital as an advocate for the patient not because, allowed
1: because the families could not get in the hospital so they actually had they they had families that were there we that nurses. witnessed
3: not in the necessarily in those hospitals but nurses in the, in the healthcare industry go in to be the advocate to see this stuff and be, be shocked at what they were seeing being told they can't be with their loved one being told they're giving them remdesivir even though they've objected um, so we do have those individuals that will be very credible uh, in terms of testifying to what they saw uh, along with their medical records they'll speak for all of what we're talking about as well because they have to bill for the use of remdesivir in order to show that they used it to get the kickbacks that are being offered for the use of remdesivir so we'll have all of those things that we'll be able to go through as well
1: so let me play devil's advocate for a second. So, so have they doctored any of the uh, hospital records? Do you have, I mean, is are they going that low?
3: We don't know yet. We're not in the discovery phase in the case. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen in the care, from the intentional concealment of important information about the, the potential consequences of using remdesivir, the concealment of other efficacious remedies that could have been used, I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't. And we don't have evidence of that. But the idea that they, these patients are having their choice for medical care taken from them and replaced with the judgment of the hospital and the administrators and the doctors leads me to believe that they wouldn't stop it changing records if they needed to.
1: Michael, you were about to say something.
2: Well, I, I think I was going to just say that I've seen uh, the doctoring of medical records in other instances. There are other cases that, that we have lined up, and I've seen where uh, survivors have left the hospital and um, uh, they're damaged for life, but the hospital records are doctored and touched up after the fact, and I have evidence of that. And Of course, Dan and I, beyond the hospital records and the testimony of credible witnesses, we have the video And photographic evidence of people being strapped to the bed, hands bruised uh, and discolored, wrists chafed and bleeding where people were struggling to get free so they could just get themselves a breath of air and maybe take the mask off long enough to beg somebody to bring them some food or water. So we have lots of evidence.
1: All right. So, so, so I want to get into uh, what are the communications, the justification? If the family says to the hospital, if the family can't get in because it's during COVID, all right, we, we know that there's stories about that. And then they tell, and then they, the health proxy member of the family okay. says to the hospital, I don't want my loved one to have remdesivir. And then I mean, do they find out during the course of the hospital in Abstemia that they are being administered this? And, and then what's the conversation after that with the hospitals to the doctor saying, why are you doing this? I mean, can a nurse give remdesivir? Does it have to be have to be uh, approved by a doctor?
3: Well, the doctor issues the order. The nurse would okay. administer it in many cases.
1: So it has to come from a doctor. It has to come from a doctor in the hospital who's directed by whom? The hospital administration at the East suite who said that we're not going to give ivermectin, we're only going to give remdesivir?
3: So some of our experts, and, and just one other thing I wanted to highlight about the evidence, you know, we will have these records pulled apart and reviewed by some of the best experts in the industry. So in terms of finding out whether things were doctored, we'll have a good keen eye on that. But those same experts, uh, one of them in particular, was actually removed from the hospital. This gentleman is one of the high Paul Merrick, and he's with us on this case. He lost his job, right. over this exact issue. He was being told by the administration this will be the remedy or the uh, the protocol. He lost his job, so um, it's coming from above, and the doctors are being told to do it. Uh, and then to answer your question about what happens in the conversation, in one of the cases we soon to be we will be signing up in Texas we have a video footage of that conversation. And the, the family member who's, uh, you know, there, the son is asking why they gave him remdesivir, he said, don't give him remdesivir. And the palliative doctor explains it as if "Well, the studies show that it's safe and effective. And he's like, I don't care what the studies show. Mm-hmm. I said, don't give it to him. And they just stand there in their self-righteous position and Say that they're right that Rendezvous was the way to do it, notwithstanding the demands that they don't do it. They just look right past it.
1: So, from a liability point of view, um, I, I don't know what what is the law for if the family says we don't want that treatment, and they and the hospital comes and says, "Well, you don't know anything because you're not in the medical field. We're, we're the experts." I mean, what happens? If, What's the question before the court on that situation?
2: Well, we have not just families who have said don't give it to them. We have the individuals themselves who say don't give me remdesivir under any circumstances, and remdesivir is given anyway. The Supreme Court has ruled that people have an unassailable right to refuse medication. Um, And uh, so when somebody says don't give that to me and the hospital gives it to them anyway, they're in violation of the law. There's no question about it. And um, and we've seen it, I've seen it and Dan has seen it um, in case after case after case throughout this country where hospitals are just saying, we don't care what you want, we're gonna give it to you anyway. And uh, so we're gonna be diving into who's driving, who, where, where is the driving force behind this? That's, that's a critical question for us to answer. Um, we, we we suspect that if we follow the money trail, we're going to find some answers. But as we get into discovery on the case, this is one of the big questions we're going to be asking. Who ultimately is the um, or, or where it, what is the driving force behind this? We know that it's been incentivized by our own government financially. We know that there are uh, massive financial incentives in terms of what can be charged. Um, and we know that remdesivir, the, the the people who ask that it be made available as an emergency use authorization um, are, are are making money uh, to the tune of, I would say, billions at this point. I've seen some numbers, and I don't remember them precisely, but uh, these people are becoming billionaires, and this money is and this drug is being pushed out now it's being advocated and even demanded in some states in California for infants, months old. who are at no risk. infants, yes.
1: Because they're claiming, what, the, 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 the infants have COVID pneumonia?
3: Correct. We have uh, contact right now with a mother in California whose two-month-old, was suffering from uh, some form of lung virus or lung problem. They didn't exactly nail it down for her, but they wanted to treat it with remdesivir, and she said no, and she said no, and she said no, and she said no, she said no a fourth time. And uh, we finally got in touch with her. Now the baby's doing better and, and everything is is back on track. So they're not pressing her on it. Uh, but that is what the state of affairs are in these hospitals. They are driving it even down to two month old infants. It's unbelievable. And the- so this
1: is a horrifying story. This is a horrifying story, because, I mean, if, if this is what's happening in America, God knows what's happening in the Congo and on the, on the African continent.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. Although I don't know that the money's slowing down there like this. And so maybe they're getting better care. Maybe they're getting ivermectin and the other things, vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, zinc, all of the things that we want to push as well. You know, the cortical steroid. You know, why are we trying that? All kinds of other options. And I think the thing that's important here, we do want to find out where the driving force is in this case, but that's we don't have to, to prevail. There's a couple of things that we're trying to accomplish with these lawsuits that go past and, and I think are more fundamental than trying to figure out who's driving this. One, we want to bring awareness to the American public that there is options in addition to either excuse me, remdesivir. So if you're at the hospital and they're telling you it's all there is, ask them for more, you know something in writing to show that. Demand that the alternatives be provided to you and, and learn about that. Be aware that this is a protocol that is not exclusive in terms of treatment of COVID, and demand information. Watch out for them providing remdesivir, even uh, against your objections. And we would encourage people to, as they're telling them, as the administration in the hospital are telling them that that's remdesivir, pull your phone out and say, I wanna record all that you're gonna tell me. Ask for risks, ask for benefits and ask for alternatives of remdesivir and get it recorded. and Demand that they put it on recording for you so you have that evidence. And then demand that they give you what they have in writing. What do you have in writing in the hospital about risks and benefits and alternatives for remdesivir and see if they produce something, but press back hard. So we want to bring awareness to this issue, and hopefully, eventually, stop uh, the use of remdesivir. And the claims that we're making really, in, there's a there's an important aspect to all of this in terms of who's driving this and where the money's come coming from and why they're doing it. The there's another important uh, aspect too in with respect to what's happened to the patient's autonomy in terms of making decisions in their medical, sure. you know, treatment. And we're seeing it first with the mandates for the COVID vaccine. It's not even a vaccine. Now we're seeing it with remdesivir. They're taking away the right to make this decision. And so we've alleged intentional torts of fraudulent concealment and battery and elder abuse um, for those people who qualified because it's not just a mistake. It's not simple medical malpractice. What's happening here are the hospitals are exercising their judgment over the patient, forcing the patient into a treatment regimen they don't want. They're not explaining alternatives. And that's something we're really trying to attack here as well, to encourage physicians to get back to practicing medicine, you know, not just listening to what you're being driven by the administration in the hospital.
1: So let's put a human face on this. Tell us, uh, Michael, tell, tell me, and Daniel, tell me a, a story or two about a couple of your um, clients who are on the complaint. Are they elderly mostly, or I mean, what are the demographics of of these uh, clients?
3: So one decedent was 21, another decedent was 86, They and everywhere in between. Men and women, um, healthy, some comorbidities, others absolutely none. So it's all across, most not vaccinated, but some were. Um, And so it's pretty much anybody who shows up at the hospital they try and jam them with the diagnosis of COVID. We actually have someone, I don't know if it's this case or another case, Michael can speak to it in terms of going in with a sprained ankle, being diagnosed with COVID and running the protocol on it. So um, it's so this, really- is,
1: and this is anybody that goes to a hospital anybody. and they do a test and they come back and they say you're COVID and this is the protocol for it and you don't have a choice and then you die.
3: We have one client. They did, I believe, five tests until they got a positive COVID result. And then they put them into the ICU.
1: Wow! Wow!
2: Christine, we know that the tests are are essentially garbage. The PCR tests are completely unreliable. They're being Um, over-cycled, um I have five they weren't ever intended
1: to be used for COVID. There's yep, five right. false positives on it. If you have had COVID, you're, you're going to have some antibodies of COVID. And so that could show up on the... I mean, the whole testing is is... If that's being used, and then because of the false positive that may come out of it, you're put on a protocol and you die...
2: Well, and the PCR tests, some of the PCR tests were recalled in June or July of last year. They were, to be, they were recalled, a level one recall issued by the CDC to be effective in December. Now, I don't know why they recalled them in the, in the summer to be effective at the end of the year unless they had some that they still needed to sell. But a level one recall is the highest level of recall they can issue and it has to do with risk of death if you rely on the, uh, if you rely on the test, the tests were, the reason for the recall was that the test couldn't distinguish between influenza A or B, the common cold or any strain of COVID. They couldn't, they couldn't distinguish. And so they admitted that and they recalled them, but they're still being used in hospitals. Um, The tests are not reliable at all. It's a total crap shoot when they give you a test. Um, And like Dan said, they're, they, have individuals, they're testing multiple times until they get a positive, and then they put them on this protocol. These people don't, I mean, to this day, I don't have anything that I consider reliable that convinces me that there is such a thing as COVID pneumonia, but they're not being treated for pneumonia of any kind. They're not being given, um, Anything you would give a patient that has pneumonia. Instead, they're just being—they're just starving them and giving them remdesivir and and they're giving them morphine. And they're—you know—if somebody's having trouble breathing, you put them on remdesivir. They're going to have more trouble breathing as their lungs fill up with water. And then you give them morphine, and that's going to further suppress their ability to breathe. Um, it's very clearly um, a protocol that is designed to end life. Not to cure COVID. To me, that seems as obvious as the nose on my face. And um, you know, it's very clearly to me, it appears, it appears to be, a murder for money scheme. Who's responsible for the murder? We intend to find out. Um, And but what we what we know for sure um, is that people are being put on this protocol and they're not surviving it. But if they weren't put on the protocol, 99.97% of them would be surviving COVID-19.
1: Did they put anybody on any blood thinners? Let's assume that maybe they did have COVID. Let's just put that out there as a hypothesis. If they did, were there anybody offered to be put on blood thinners? Because this disease, whatever they call it, has has developed uh, blood clots in some people. And there are some doctors that I know that were working on alternatives, early treatments, that had told me in 2020, instead of the ventilators, people should have been put on blood thinners, antioxidants, and then hopefully somebody could figure out how to reduce the COVID uh, virus load in the body. But they, you know, of course, that hasn't been funded to date um, by the U.S. government, unfortunately. But I know the people who actually have a 90, I think it's a 90, 9.8% 9.8% success rate on it, but it's unfunded. All right. So I'm curious if any of your clients were offered any blood thinners.
3: I don't think we can speak to that specifically at this point, Christine. There's thousands of pages of records that we're organizing right now and getting those ready for our experts. Yeah. We're certainly looking into that. We're documenting all of the medications that they were given. And then we'll present that to the experts for an analysis. You know, and, and one thing I do want to point out, I, it, these are going to be tough cases. That's why no one's taking them. At least a lot of attorneys are not because the causation issues are certainly, you know, uh, things will oh, be
1: challenged. They'll be challenged,
3: you know, and they'll say this is all from COVID and it's all from COVID. But we have and this is the thing that really sold me. Well, there was many things in this case. It just sold me to get involved. But some of the top minds in medicine are looking at this protocol mm-hmm. and saying more likely than not, the death is the result of the protocol as opposed to COVID. And these are really, really smart people who know COVID, who know treatment, who know remdesivir. And sure, they'll have experts who will say it's the other side. It's just a simple malpractice case and uh, you can't prove causation. But we're in this for the fight because we think that what's happening is just so overtly wrong. I mean, you can't look at this and think it's right to strap somebody to the bed and pump them full of oxygen, and give them all these medications, and and to see it over and over and over—that's the thing that's just really interesting. This is not like a one-off in Fresno. This is everywhere in the country. Based on the emails we're getting, Australia, England are sending us emails. Same protocol. It is
1: wild. Well, and- it's hard. It's absolutely horrifying. How do people get in touch with you? What's the page that's there? Uh, mention your law firms. I mean, pe- people need to get involved. They need to know that you guys are out there. You're going to lead this fight about the protocol for remdesivir. And this needs to be stopped too. And, and and you know, the there needs to be a, a, an independent investigation on the fact that April 2020, and this, this video's out there, it was covered in the news. All the networks were there. It was a pool coverage at the White House. Trump was in the room uh, Deborah Bricks was in the room. Fauci was sitting on a sofa with her. He announced that you know remdesivir is great. Blah 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 blah. April 2020. It sits in my mind because I because it resonated with me um, at that point in time, covering covering the whole story. This is th- this is coming from the top. This is not this is not going to be just the hospital administrators. This is going to be a call. somebody made a call from Washington D.C.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the hospital administrators across the country did not all come up with this on their own simultaneously. That's right. That's that right. Didn't happen. There's no question about it. Fauci, the NIH, the, the folks went before the CDC and they said, oh, this is a great drug. It's it's safe. It's effective. No, it wasn't. That was an outright lie. It was a lie to make money. Um, it was accepted as a protocol by the CDC. But here's the thing, Christine, the the European Council Um, and and about a month after that, the World Health Organization both did extensive studies and they said the World Health Organization's um, recommendation was that remdesivir should never be given to a COVID-19 patient regardless of severity of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Now they've modified that some since, but that was the recommendation in place when every one of these 14 uh, people died that we're representing their families in, in the Fresno case. Never give it to somebody. And doctors have a duty to stay abreast of the literature during an emerging pandemic. They have an absolute duty and they can't just put their head in the sand and say, well, the CDC said that it's okay.
1: That's right. Um, and that's so right. But
2: That's what they're doing.
1: That's right. And then, then, then you have to say who, who made it, who are the investors in Gilead? Because they are the manufacturers. Uh, th- has their patent run out on remdesivir? Do we know?
2: I can't speak to that. Dan, I don't know if you are aware. We have not taken a look at that, but it is a
1: good question. Don't okay. Know. so so, but every everybody who's connected to Gilead. Everybody who's connected to the NIH, I'd like to get the names of all those guys who at the NIH who uh, testified and said, you know, run with remdesivir, because if they're profiting from it, they need to be named. They need to be exposed. There needs needs to be a deep dive investigation on all those people. Guys, I think this is terrific. Let the audience know. How do they get in touch with you?
3: So in terms of letting us know about your situation, we have a website now. It's called Declare Truth. Dot us, declaretruth.us. You can go there. There's a support tab that you can use and find the reference to Remdesivir. You can financially support the case. Michael will speak to more about that under Gibson Go. But if you go to the get help tab at the top right, you can click that. There's a drop down, and then a part of the drop down says legal help for Remdesivir cases. There's an intake form. You can complete that. Just so everybody knows, we're trying to assemble the names by state we're looking for attorneys in other states that want to take these cases and try and marry up some of these people with the with the attorneys we have received thousands of requests so we can't get to everybody but we are trying and we are now working with other organizations to develop a consortium of attorneys to come together so we're trying hard to find these people and that leads me to this if you are an attorney and you're interested in helping you can go to my website our law firm which is wl hyphen p as in Paul, dot com, uh, and go to the uh contact us let me know you're interested that's wl-llp.com and then you can go to the declare truth as well and in, in the legal help for Desver cases you can send us your information but if you're feeling the nudging from god if you're an attorney and something is encouraging you to get involved please say yes please answer that call because you are needed people need you to help them in your state on this issue
1: And this needs to, this protocol needs to stop. It It needs
2: to stop. And so Christine, if you're, if, if somebody is watching or listening to this right now, and they want to just immediately join the fight with a financial donation, whether it be $5 500 or something in between, so many people have now given the money does not go to Dan and I, it's to support and help these families who have next to nothing. They have the courage, to relive their grief so that others might be saved. We have a Give, Send, Go. The address for that is givesendgo.com forward slash Fresno remdesivir death. You'll also find that on DeclareTruth.us under the support tab. Either one of those will get you to the same Give, Send, Go page. And we would love to have you stand with us financially. We would love to have you pray for us. Where we sense that there's a great evil afoot in this country, God is greater than that evil. And um, we covet your prayers first, your donations second, and, and share this story as widely as possible. Because the more people that are aware of what's happening, the more resistance the hospitals are going to meet. And that is really crucial to save lives.
1: And our job as journalists is to shine the light on what's happening with this. This is a huge story. Gentlemen, I I want you to stay in touch with us. Um, We're going to we're going to stay on this story. This uh, if you have hospitals and institutions that are causing this harm, there will be a pushback just like there was with the Catholic Church, just like there uh, there always is when you when you get involved with labor trafficking or organ trafficking, which is in the medical world. Um, So God bless you and, and Godspeed on this, because this is this is a horrific protocol. Uh, and it has to stop.
2: Christine, I, I want to say that it's easy to become jaded about doctors. It's easy to become jaded about journalists. It's, mm-hmm. it's a true blessing to meet somebody like yourself who is, is working hard to shine the light of truth on, uh, on, on things such as this. It's so thank you for the work that you're doing.
1: Well I, it, listen, it wouldn't wouldn't be happening without Todd Wood I mean because he's he's given us a platform to do this, and so it, it's it, I just want to say thank you, um, but we're going to stay on the story. we're going to stay on the story because this needs to stop um, th- this profit over people um, at this level that we have all seen in the last three years, it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. because and, and but I always say people consciously and without a conscience are doing this. And that's get the intent, you know, one quick
3: thing on that, Christine, and I appreciate you so much having us on here, but everyone asks, how do you plan on beating big pharma and whoever's behind it? They're so big, you can't win. Why are you inv- wasting your time? Well, a couple of things that I've come to see in, in our work in here, in these cases and in the mandate cases we have in California and so on, when people come together and if we can unify on this, you know, no matter where you stand politically, You should be against the idea that an institution is going to take away your decision making uh, in terms of medical care. If we can unify and we can all push back together and share the story, just like you're saying, shine light into this so others can know. Get unified Mm -hmm. and then give it to God because God is where we're going to win this fight against evil. And Unify and rally around him. I think that's where we have the chance to win. If people really want to know, we got to put it in the hands of the creator. And give him an opportunity and that's why michael and i are here we're trying to set the table for something like that to happen
1: that will happen people always say you can't take on you can't take on monsanto or dupont well that bobby kennedy won on that people people told me i was crazy when i decided to take on the catholic church um you know history his history <clears throat> took off on its own and people said you can't you can't explain to people that uh Slavery is alive and well at the turn of the 21st century, and we did that too. This is a winnable war, and people need Mm -hmm. to understand that it's very, a very winnable war. But it's also keeping the focus on holding people accountable because if you don't, it will be repeated. Oh, for sure, yeah, it will be repeated. Godspeed, and let's and come back anytime as this progresses. And and you know, you will probably get some pushback as attorneys. From people, you might have a rogue attorney say, Oh, I, I'm with you. Tell me how you did it so that he's working for the other side or she's working for the other side. Expect that, that always happens. We already have it happening, <laughs> I'm certain. I'm certain you have. Okay, yes, you all right. Thank
0: you, Christine. Right. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Come back anytime.